A bizarre tragedy in Sweden reminds us what happens when some people take conspiracies a little too far. And then we travel back in time to ancient America to take a look at two stories involving Native Americans and alien visitors. Is it possible that tribes that had been uncontacted by the Europeans had already had advanced contact with people from another world? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are still having a great day after this episode. This one's a wild one. It's a little dark. But let's turn on the lights and welcome in one of our legacy Patreon supporters walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now. A longtime supporter of the show. Give it up for Rage Cat. Meow, meow. Come on in. I guess it's not a very Rage Cat noise, but Rage Cat, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. Also, just letting you know, my t- <laughs> as I'm trying to do this intro, my tummy's a little rumbly. I'm super hungry, and I don't know how I'm able to edit out. You're like, Jason, just wait. Just wait to do the podcast later. No, I'm going to do it now. Uh, but my, tum- my stomach is super growly. I don't know if I'll be able to edit it all out. It's not an EVP. It's not a ghost. If you hear a murmuring, it's my stomach. I actually ordered. This is the new world we live in. I could have walked to Walmart and bought some chili, and it would have taken me probably about an hour round trip to walk there and back. Instead, I ordered <laughs> Instead, I ordered chili from Walmart.com, and it's taken several days to get here. But But supposedly, it's supposed to come today. Uh, I do have other food in my house, by the way. I'm not starving, but I really, really, really want to eat some chili, so I'm waiting. I'm waiting to get my chili, so what's interfering with my podcast It's actually rumbly through the podcast. Rage Cat, let's go ahead and toss you the oars for the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to row, row, row all the way across the ocean to Switzerland. Splash! Splash! rowing all the way out there if you guys don't know i do have my tiktok channel at dead rabbit radio and that is exclusively true crime at this point i really cover all of my true crime stuff and the reason i love true crime i read all of these crime websites all the time one thing i've realized is there's a lot of true crime i want to cover but to be honest by the time i did the intro and we got in the vehicle i could cover the story most of these stories can be covered in a minute but every show so if you really want more true crime content go to tiktok go to my at dead rabbit radio because i put out stuff every day almost just like the show but some of the stuff i come across is just i really want to get into it's true crime related but it's just i can't cover it in a minute and this story in particular is one of those stories that I originally was just like, oh, I'll just do it for the TikTok channel. And the more I looked into it, the creepier it got. And I really wanted to spend some time talking about it. So, Rage Cat, let's go ahead and pull this boat ashore in Switzerland. We're in the city of Montreux, Switzerland. This story just happened on March 24th, 2022. And I did a quick check before I started recording this. Still no additional news. This story is insane. Literally. Really. March 24th, 2022, it's around 6.15 in the morning. These two police officers, they show up at this apartment complex. It's an eight-story apartment complex, but their destination is the seventh story. And on the seventh floor lived a family. 
And these police here were just here for a totally routine visit. The way it's set up in Switzerland, and I believe this is the same with other countries as well, is if you homeschool your children, every year you get checked on. Every year there's a government agency set up to make sure that the children are getting the education that they need, that they're at a, the grade level they're supposed to be at. So the this governing body will call you up and say, hey, we need to set up an appointment so we can actually audit the child or test him, however they do it, to make sure that he's at grade level. Because what's happening is in this apartment, there is, there's two children. There's a 15-year-old boy and an 8-year-old girl, but currently only the 15-year-old boy is being homeschooled through this system. And the agency calls up the family and says, hey, we need to schedule an appointment to make sure that everything's going fine. This is the yearly thing we do. It's totally normal. And they don't get a call back. The agency does not get a call back. So, okay, let's move to the next level. They send out a letter. Hey, we tried calling you. We're not getting any response. Please call us between these times so we can set up this very routine thing. We do it once a year. That make sure your child is at a certain educational level that they're getting the education they need. Multiple letters go out. The letters go unanswered. So now they're sending out the police. Now the police aren't there to arrest him. The police aren't there to test them. They're not going in with their pencils and M2 pencils to fill out. They're just there to, hey, we've been sent out here by this governing body to schedule a time for you to set up this test. And then if they don't respond to the police officers, which, of course, everyone, everyone responds to the police officers, then you start a court process where the court comes in. This is super routine. It normally doesn't get to this level. Even the police officers showing up. Most people answer the phone, and then if they don't, then those people get the letters. But the police are part of this process. It's super routine. So at 6.15 a.m., when these police officers are going up to the seventh story of this apartment complex to knock on this door and, and just to get this person to set up an appointment, super routine. These two police officers have no idea they're about to set a tragic series of events into motion that will probably never have any answers to what really happened behind this door. Police knock on this door at 6.15. They hear a male voice on the other side of the door say, Who is it? The police officers identify themselves. We're the police. Now, they don't hear any answer after that. And this isn't a kick-down-the-door-worthy event. They're just there. It's totally routine. I have to keep nailing that in because the story just goes so sideways. They're just there to be part of this process. And they don't hear anything on the other side of the door. So they leave. They just walked away. Now, I'm sure there was a fourth level. I don't think it was SWAT coming in with a bunch of math books and pencils. And they're like, you're going to fill out this test right in front of us, young man. There is probably At that point, the police would probably leave and there'd probably be like a court order or something like that for them to show up. And the process would continue. Now, this is a true crime podcast, but the crime isn't that they just refused to do the homeschooling thing. Obviously, something much darker is going on. So the police leave. That'll happen around 6.15 a.m. Sometime between 6.15 and 7 a.m., what happened was the family in this apartment, they all took off their shoes. In this house, you had the husband. They have not released any of these people's names, but in this house, you had the husband. He was 40. You had his 41-year-old wife. You had her twin sister, who was also living in this apartment. And then the couple's 
eight-year-old daughter and 15-year-old son. Between 6.15 and 7 a.m., they took their shoes off. At 7 a.m., while people are still waking up, making their breakfast, drinking their coffee, reading the news, the residents in this apartment complex hear a BOOM! It's a startling sound. A loud sound. I can't really place it at first. And maybe you went back to reading the newspaper, or drinking your coffee, or eating your eggs. But a few curious residents of the apartment complex looked out their window, opened their sliding glass door, and peeked over their balcony. What had happened was the family, all five of them, jumped off of their seventh-story balcony at the same time. They all tumbled to the ground and hit the pavement. Four of them dead on impact. The father, the mother, the sister-in-law, and the eight-year-old daughter. The 15-year-old boy lived, but is in a coma. And that's as recent as news we have. Now, long-time listeners of Dead Rabbit Radio, I've talked about this once or twice on the show. One of the signs that police look for over whether something is a suicide, an accidental death, or a murder, this weird quirk of suicide, is that people who commit suicide tend to take their shoes off before they do it. Because shoes are uncomfortable. The only reason we wear shoes is to protect our feet. We might pick nicer shoes to go to the club or more athletic shoes to do certain events. But for the most part, shoes are just something we have to protect our feet. And if you are going to kill yourself, why do you need to protect your feet? And again, most shoes are just uncomfortable to begin with. Just the thought of, I hate I hate wearing shoes personally. I do because I have to protect my feet. But when I come home, the first thing I do is take off my shoes. And pretty pretty much all of my other clothing, too. Walking around in shorts pretty much most of the time. But they all took off their shoes and they all jumped off of the balcony. Now, the police believe that they all did this at the exact same time because everyone heard a single sound of them all hitting. So they don't think it was a murder-suicide. They're not really classifying it as that. Everyone jumped off the balcony. Now, obviously, the 8-year-old girl and arguably the 15-year-old boy, they're not capable of making such a permanent decision. Their brains aren't fully developed. So, yeah, you could argue murder, but it wasn't like the dad or the mom were throwing the kids over. They all jumped. Apparently, there was a step... This is, It's just insane, right? Apparently, there was a stepladder on the balcony. So the younger person could get off, jump, jump themselves, right? Terrifying story. And police don't know what to make of it. There was a news article that kind of connected them to a cult, but the neighbors have come out and said, no, they weren't really cultish. In fact, we didn't really even see them that much, but there was nothing about them that would make us think they were in some sort of cult. However, the, the one of the latest articles I found was April 1st in the New York Times, and they stated that Apparently, as the police were investigating, as they're coming going into the apartment and stuff like that, that they had a bunch of food stocked up, and they seemed to take a real, if not a cult, 
following, not a cult belief thing, they began to get really into conspiracy theories during the COVID panic. Like before that, just an average family homeschooling their kid, whatever. I don't care about homeschooling. I don't, I'm not pro or anti it. It's a fine enough choice, right? I'm, I'm, that's not what this is about. But apparently, like during COVID, whatever was going on in that home became amplified. Then the conspiracy theories and the survivalism, which I did to everyone, right? People who never hoarded food before or toilet paper had to do that just as a means. But they said this family took it overboard, right? So they're just a normal homeschooling family, but isolated from the world. Apparently, the twin sister was the only one who had a job outside the apartment. She was the only one who left the place regularly and you had all these people living together you know hopefully a loving family until i mean obviously what this isn't a preferable ending this is a horrible ending but what i'm saying is like it seemed to just be a family and then they fell off the deep end because they were for him them to be homeschooling the son in previous years they would have had to respond to these communiques from the government it was this year that something changed Totally routine police visit, but that set something off in the family that caused a mass suicide. And that is something we tend to only see in cults. Unfortunately, we do see a lot of murder suicides. But a group suicide, right? Again, they said, I saw one article that said they went one after another, but every other article said it was a single sound. And I honestly, I feel bad for the family. I feel bad for the son. You know, he's in a coma. Like, again, he'll probably never come out of it. And I feel bad for those police officers as well. It was just a routine morning for them knocking on a door. You know they're going to carry that to their grave. Like, what if we had kicked in the door? Why, why didn't we do something more? But they couldn't. Legally, they couldn't. And they didn't. never even thought that they would need to. They go back, court will issue a summons, and they'll go and da 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 the whole process. Mass suicide in Switzerland. Insane. It's just a creepy story. It's a creepy true crime story. And it's a creepy story of what happens when you take conspiracy theories too far. I love conspiracy theories. There are conspiracy theories that I do believe in. I love researching all conspiracy theories and going, could this be true? Could this not be true? And kind of taking it apart and putting it back together. I love the theory of conspiracy theories. And there are ones that I think are true, right? But I don't think really any of them are worth... I think this should go without saying. I don't think any of them are worth killing yourself and your family or convincing your family it's time to jump off this balcony into oblivion and hit the pavement. Terrifying. Terrifying story. Terrifying true crime story. And it's really fallen under the radar. Actually, when the article popped up, I thought it was going to be kind of a bigger look at... Like, what caused this and stuff like that. But I guess the world is so chaotic that when an entire family kills themselves, again, not a murder-suicide. This wasn't people being thrown over a balcony. Uh, um, I guess the world's too chaotic to even take notice of a tragedy like this. That was a that was kind of a downer. I was uh, I didn't actually expect it to go on that long either. But Rage Cat, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter for those of you who are still around, um, hugging your loved ones. Rage Cat, let's go ahead and leave behind Switzerland. We are headed all the way out to British Columbia. Yesterday, I talked about this website. I, I, I knew that I was going to cover it again, but I didn't know I was going to cover it so closely. There's a website called ufobc.ca. It's a website that's dedicated to UFO encounters in British 
Columbia and, and Canada in total, but they really specify the British Columbia area. Really cool website. The fact that we're covering it on two different days back to back should show how much cool stuff we found from there. First off, we're headed out to Prince Rupert, British Columbia. There's a place called Robertson Point out there. We're going back in time to visit the Simshian tribe that once controlled the area of Robertson Point. This is far back in time before the Europeans showed up. There's a village called Metlakala. Metlakala. And in this village, there's a man. He's going to be exiled. Let's call him Terry. So Terry's like, oh, come on, man. You can't exile me. I know I did all that stuff that's exile-worthy, but come on. I'm a cool guy, man. Exile that guy over there. That dude's super lame. And they're like, no, we're going to exile you. And that guy's over there crying. We're like, we're going to exile you twice now for making that lame guy cry. So Terry gets exiled, and he's like, ah. And he's like just kind of complaining as he walks away. A couple days later, people are just hanging out in the village, doing their thing. And they see Terry walking back towards the village. And they're like, hey, didn't we just exile this guy? What's he doing? Does he not know the definition of the word exile? And Terry walks in, and he's been starved. And Terry walks back, and he's been starving, right? It's been a couple days, and he's like, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. And they're like, yeah, that's part of what being exiled is, bro. It's a punishment. Get out of here. And he's like, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. I know you guys are going to try to kick me out again. But I have a story to tell you. He's like, it'll cost you one cheeseburger. And they're like, okay, what's your story? We're not going to give you a cheeseburger. What's your story? And he goes, I fell from the sky. I was out walking and something picked me up and took me to the heavens and then dropped me. And people are like, okay, that to be fair, that is a cheeseburger worthy story, but we don't believe you. You better be telling the truth. You better be telling the truth that some magical force picked you up, and threw you down from the heavens. Because if not, you're going to get exiled again. And he's like, I, I totally understand that. Totally get the exile thing. So he goes, I got proof for you, though. So let me show you. So they all walked back to this area. He goes, look, that is where I landed. Townspeople are like, whoa, dude. And there in the rock is the outline of a man. Now, not like a drawing, not like a chalk outline. There's an indentation in the rock of a human body. And they welcome Terry back as a shaman. They're like, dude, if he got chosen by the gods and then was thrown back down from the heavens and survived, this guy needs to be elevated, exiled, schmuxiled. Let's go exile that lame guy. The shaman has spoken. He's welcome back as a shaman. What's interesting is this pet. This is not like a legend. Well, technically it is, right? But this is, it's called a petroglyph. It still exists. They actually, you can actually visit this. It is in the rock, the outline of a man. It's like if you took a dude, you can actually recreate this. Take a G.I. Joe action figure or a Lego action figure, it doesn't matter. And take some Play-Doh and push down the Lego man into the Play-Doh and then pull him out. That's what happened. He like It's like a perfect indentation of a human in a rock. There will be photos in the show notes if you don't have action figures in Play-Doh. But it still exists. You can go visit it. Now, it's in kind of a remote region. 
So they have a local museum that has a fiberglass replica of it in the Museum of Northern BC. That museum there, you can go and be like, whoa, look at it. <laughs> look at it. It's a representation of that. But if you have the gear and if you get permission, you can go and see the original thing. Now I'm reading this and I'm looking at this photo and I'm like, dude, this is nuts. Like this would be proof of aliens to be dropped from the sky, to be taken up to the sky in the first place, right? Before airplanes, before hot air balloons and then drop and survive. That's really cool. But I start looking as like, you know, obviously, <laughs> obviously this might not be true. I'm not going, what? That's amazing. Let's talk about it. I start to dig a little bit more into it and there's actually different versions of the story. The rock does exist. And the more I was looking at the photos and the more I was reading other stories of it, I started to think, hmm, it does look like the image of a human in a rock. That's, it's not like a trick of the light. That's obviously what it is. But it looks almost too much like a human in a rock. It would be the difference of if you ran through a wall and you smashed a hole in the wall or if you ran through a wall and you left like a perfect impression of your arms raised, like everything breaks perfectly around you. So it looks like a human walked through a wall. You know what I mean? That's what this looked like. It looked too perfect. There was another version of the story where a guy was already a shaman in the area. And he goes, you know what, guys, this is cool and all, but it's time for me to learn from the sky. Earth is cool and all, but I think I could learn more stuff from up there, from the sky. So he left the village, and then he came back a couple days later and says, Dude, you won't believe it. I went to the sky, and I stayed there, and I learned all this cool stuff, but there's no food in the sky. So I came back to Earth. I actually fell all the way to Earth and hit this rock, and now, now do you have a cheeseburger? Both times the person's starving, no matter what version it is. And he took them to the to the rock, and they saw it. And it's kind of... People nowadays, like scientists nowadays, you know, party poopers who don't believe in space aliens are surviving 30,000 foot drops. They think that the story, one of these stories is true and someone did leave the village, whether they were exiled or they went willingly and they carved this image. And then they went back and said, hey, I just came from the sky and brought them over. That's kind of where people kind of sit on this one. People go, it's obviously real. We can look at it, but we think somebody carved it. We don't think someone actually fell from the sky. But the idea of aliens interacting, which was what this would be, right? Obviously, it could be paranormal. It could be deities. It could be gods working with them. But the idea, I think the kind of idea that if anything was going to do this in any sort of scientific way, it would be aliens. But Rage Cat, let's keep that Carbonacopter in the air. This episode might run a little bit long, but I really want to get to this story. This is super awesome. And hopefully it's a good counterbalance to how depressing the episode started off. We're staying in the general area. We're going to be in the Pacific Northwest coast of Canada, but we're moving a little bit ahead in time. We're headed to the late 1700s. And there was a man, his name was John Mears. He was a member of the Royal Navy that spent a lot of time on this coast of America. And when he resigned from the Royal Navy, he actually just wanted to explore on his own. Because you imagine a lot of times you'd be on some battleship and you're like, oh, look at those pretty flowers over there. And they're like, John, man the guns. <laughs> Shoot these pirates that are trying to attack us. He's like, oh, but I want to see the flowers. So once he resigns from the Navy, he is able to walk around on his own. And he spent a lot of time observing the Nootka tribe, or they're also known as the Nootka Nuth tribe. 
And he wrote of his travels. He published his works um, about all of this time he spent in the Americas. And between 1778 and 1789, he wandered through the Pacific Northwest coast of Canada. And what he did was he wrote of his travels. He wrote this book explaining what he was doing between 1778 and 1789, kind of documenting the floral and the fauna and the tribes that are in the area. One thing he noticed is that the Nootka tribesmen were very familiar with copper. It was highly admired by them. Which is odd in and of itself. Metalworking was one of the things that Europeans brought to North America. Now, there were tribes out on the East Coast or in the Great Lake area that was very familiar with copper. But for the most part, we, and that was an anomaly as well. People thought that was weird as well. I'll put it in the show notes. In the Great Lakes, the tribes that were really familiar, I think it was copper there as well. It was connected to this god, this deity in the Great Lakes area that they loved copper, but they also knew that this was something that this ancient sea beast wanted. I'll put that episode in the show notes. That was a really good one. But it is an anomaly. And so he thought that was weird. He goes, how are you guys familiar with copper? You guys don't have any mines. You're definitely not trading it with anyone. Well, now you are. But when people show up, when people, travelers and traders come with copper, you definitely want that and you know what it is. How did you, how do you guys know about this stuff? And he was told, well, we know about copper because a long time ago, someone brought that metal to us. And like, so like before the Europeans got here, who did you have contact with? And they go, well, it wasn't you. It definitely wasn't you. You just showed up a couple of years ago. It actually wasn't anyone from your country or wasn't anyone from your continent they came from the sky and he's told this story one day a copper canoe flew down from the heavens and it was piloted by a man and everything this man had was made of metal which before this they had no knowledge of metalworking, but this man came down in a flying copper canoe. Everything he had was made of metal, and he came with a warning. He told us that one day disaster would befall the Nootka nation. Our people would be killed. He brought these warnings with us, along with this miraculous metal. And it's interesting because the Nootcha Nulf tribe was one of the very first tribes on the west coast to encounter Europeans. And that had its pluses and its minuses. The pluses were they set up some very early trade agreements with the Europeans. So they benefited from this European exposure as opposed to the other tribes in the area. They were able to make first contact with the Europeans. They were able to establish these trade agreements. That was the pro. The cons was literally everything else you read about in a history book. Diseases began to spread among the New Child Nuth tribe. And they found themselves in the middle of a lot of conflicts involving other European world powers. You had Spain and Britain fighting over territory that was controlled by the New Child Nuth tribe. And they were now embroiled in all of these conflicts that really were being directed from a world away. Beefing over trade routes, beefing over access to this water source, to this food source. It's never the best place to be, to be squeezed between two world powers. But the Nootka tribe 
they didn't take it lying down. They actually were pretty aggressive on their own towards these empires. In 1803, the Nootkas captured an American trading ship. And they slaughtered everyone on board. Except for two of them. They allowed two of them to live as long as they would be their slaves. In 1811, the Nootkas took over another trading ship. And this was because the captain, the trading ship was known as the Tonquin. The captain of the Tonquin insulted a powerful member of the tribe. He actually slapped him with a fur. Doesn't say what prompted the slap, but this captain of the ship took a fur and slapped this dude over the face. And you just couldn't stand for that, right? I mean, I guess I guess there was other ways to resolve this. Probably shouldn't have slapped the dude in the first place, but... One of their powerful leaders got slapped, so what they did was they killed everyone. The Nootkas slaughtered all of the crew of the Tonquin, and because the crew was on land, the crew the crew was there visiting, and their captain slapped this guy with the fur, and then they said, "Okay, before we get on our rowboats and go back to the ship, let's camp here for the night." And they were slaughtered. And the ship just sat there abandoned for about a day, just floating there. And then after a day, the Nootkas said, well, let's go salvage the boat. They must have all of this great stuff on there. They're traders, right? They're from this mighty empire, probably full of riches, right? So they took the rowboats and they went out to the Tonquin and they got on board and they're stealing everything from it. They're plundering it. What they didn't know is there was a guy hiding on the boat. He's probably taking a nap when the captain says, Okay, everyone, get in your rowboats. We're going to go on this trading mission. I got my slapping hand ready. They're like, why do you have a slapping hand ready? I thought we were just traders. And the captain's like, you'll see. Nothing will go wrong. This guy was sleeping, apparently. And he must have woken up to an empty ship. And I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was like a home alone thing. He's like, ah, as he's looking out the ship, he's seeing all the people being slaughtered. He's like, ah, then he goes hide on the ship. But it does, it is kind of a home alone thing. Because I guess he is home alone. He's on a boat that requires an entire crew of people to sail. He's trapped a world away from his home. He's hiding in the boat as all of these dudes are climbing onto the boat and plundering it. And there's a hundred Nootka tribesmen on the boat. It's not like it's not like the wet bandits, not just two of them. And the only original crew member left is poor Kevin down in the boat. And he realizes, you know, obviously these guys have quite a reputation. It was just a couple years ago. They slaughtered everyone on a boat and took a couple slaves. He knows that all of his countrymen have been killed at this point. The Nootka tribes on this trading ship, and this guy is down in the ammo hold. I don't know why he was taking his note down there. He's like, oh, I love the smell of gunpowder. He puts me to sleep. He's down in the ammo hold. There's a hundred tribesmen on the boat. He knows that he's never getting out of here alive, or if he does, he'll be a slave. He sets the ammo magazines on fire, and the boat is obliterated. It's just this massive explosion. It killed a hundred members of the tribe. Like, And these were warriors. Right, This would be the equivalent of half your army being vaporized. The equivalent of a nuclear bomb dropping on West Point or something like that. Don't, don't, don't come after me, FBI. This is just an example. I did not make that threat. If you had a nuclear bomb vaporize 
a huge chunk of your leadership, a huge chunk of your fighting force. This was the biggest single loss of life for the Nootka tribe in its entire history. A hundred men dying in a single day. By 1830, and we, unfortunately, you know, like, we're in the future. We know the history of the Native Americans and their involvement with the Europeans. And so we knew that, because so when I started the story off with the canoe man flying down from the sky, we know how this story ends, unfortunately, right? By 1830, 90% of the new Cha Newell are dead, specifically of diseases like smallpox and malaria. And by the time the 1900s rolled around, they went from this mighty nation controlling this part of the world to being around 3,500 people. That's all that was left. And so we know, looking back, that this was going to happen, unfortunately. But remember the man in the flying canoe? He came before the Europeans. He came long before all of this stuff. And he prophesied that they would be destroyed. But not even John Muir knew that at the time. Remember, he's visiting them before all of this stuff is going on, before 1830 when disease really takes hold, before 1811 where they lose 100 men in a single day. He He's meeting them long before this, and he sees that they have access to all of this copper, and he hears the prophecy that this tribe will be wiped out. And even John Mears must be thinking, well, this is such a mighty group of people. This is a huge nation. It would take a lot to wipe them out. He doesn't even really know what's coming down the pipe. But he now does know about the prophecy. And he is informed about this man in the copper canoe bringing down all of this metal. And John Mears asks, well, what happened to the man in the copper canoe? Did he fly away? Did he go back home to where he came from? He gave this prophecy to you. And and how did you repay him? And he was told that the Nootka tribe, after hearing this warning killed the man in the canoe, took all of his metal, took all of his copper, and learned the secrets of metalworking. Not from his teachings, but by reverse engineering, basically, his copper canoe. It's an interesting story, and I think it's so fascinating because when we talk about aliens coming down, when we look at ancient aliens theories, we have these aliens coming down in massive numbers and talking to the Egyptians. If you if you believe in the, the ancient aliens theory, we have these aliens coming down in massive numbers in these great vehicles. Their power is indisputable. Right, And they teach the Egyptians how to build these pyramids. Or you have the aliens coming down in their vehicles and they're teaching the South Americans how to build their great cities or the Nazca Lions and all of these things. And I'm not a huge believer in the ancient aliens theory. I talk about this all the time. I'll put it in the show notes. Once again, there's a great documentary called Ancient Aliens Debunked. I, I'm, I'm waiting for YouTube to yank it for copyright violations. It's been around for a couple of years, though. It's a really good look at all that stuff. But let's just say, for example... That stuff happened, right? That those weren't the works of great minds of men. Those were the works of alien visitors. You would have this indisputable power of that. And nowadays when we see aliens, right, a lot of times they're coming down and they're kind of like, we're usually just flying around in their UFOs, but sometimes they come down. For the most part, they'll steal a couple cows, they'll do just probe a couple people, and we seem so powerless to them. Now, I covered last week, I covered an episode about a guy who beat an alien to death with the butt of a rifle. But for the most part, that's the anomaly, right? That's usually it's just aliens kind of doing what they do, and we're just kind of victims of it. But when I read this story, I thought, 
really, the aliens that just kind of visit or either come down in numbers and they move an entire society in one direction or another, or they come down to someone who's not going to violently murder them, that's the that's the normal UFO lore. But you would figure that there would be times where aliens would come across the wrong person, like last week when the guy got beaten to death. The alien got beaten to death. And when I'm reading this story, yes, it, it's very likely that aliens would have come down and met a tribe of people who were like, well, okay, that's cool and all. That's cool and all that you can fly from the sky, but we really want your vehicle. Let's kill you. Imagine if an alien came down. Actually, I think we covered this. We did cover this. I'll try to find the episode. This alien ship visited. It abducted two people during... Like the witch trials, like during that time period, two people went up into the sky and came back and said, we went to the sky and we were dancing around and the Space Brothers are here to help us. And they were burned to the stake. These people who talked about going up into the heavens and meeting people from another planet were killed. And you imagine if aliens did come down and met people at the wrong time or in the wrong place. Not as a show of force, but a single explorer. Like how that one guy a couple years ago hopped on a boat and went to Sentinel Island to bring the Bible, to teach the teachings of Christianity to the people of Sentinel Island. It's this, we've talked about it several times in the show, oddly enough. The island itself, it's an island that is uncontacted. They see our airplanes and our helicopters flying overhead, but they kill anyone who comes near them. They're considered one of the last known uncontacted tribes on Earth. There would be this equivalent, right? Someone coming from another planet, an explorer from another world. And they could have landed somewhere else. This flying canoe could have flown into Spain, right? And gone up to Queen Isabella or Queen Sophia or whoever was in charge, and presented himself as a visitor from another world and be treated by the court. Or he could have shown up in he could have shown up in New England during the rule of the Puritans, right? Where they're burning people, they're burning their own villagers because their their wheat crop is 40% less abundant as than it used to be. What happens when a guy shows up then? Says, I am from another world. It's so nice to meet people on this planet you call Earth. They would have killed him on the spot. It's interesting to think that all over the world, as much as there are people out there who want to see the Space Brothers, right? Who want to have proof of alien life. That's relatively new. And I'm saying, like, in the past 30 years... Before that, during the Cold War, if you came to Earth, you were getting shot down. If you popped up during any one of the numerous wars that have erupted around this planet, you're getting blown out of the sky, no question. And if you landed too, if you landed far enough back in the past, you might be considered a god. And if you had enough proof, like if you could melt walls with beams and things like that, if you could incinerate enemies, you would be considered a god. But then once you started having organized religion, if you came down and had the powers of a god, you were killed on the spot. Like global organized religions. Or in a place like the Americas, where you don't have these organized religions yet, but you have tribes, 
you may land next to a tribe that goes, oh yeah, we do believe in the great coyote who lives in the sky, and maybe you are a worker of his, so teach us your ways. Maybe, maybe you picked up our shaman and threw him to the earth, and if so, welcome. But the Nukas weren't messing around. God or not, visitor from another world or not, they wanted the metal. They wanted the metal more than the message. And it actually led them down a path that the same thing happened to so many other tribes native to the Americas. The Europeans came and the Europeans wiped them out, whether through disease or through tyranny or both. Is it possible that the Nootka could have listened to the message of this man from the Copper Canoe and readied themselves and prevented this tragedy? It's hard to say because the tragedy was spread across two continents. But it definitely didn't help that they killed this man who came from the sky with a warning personalized to them. They killed him for his canoe. They may have discovered copper and metalworking long before the Europeans showed up. But that knowledge did not save them. And neither did the copper that they stole from the man who came to help. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.